Coming back to the same passage that we actually looked at last week in Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We're going to stop there this morning. We dealt with the other verses last week. But we start with the question, did God really say he created the world? That's a strongly debated question in our world today. It's a strongly debated question in the church today. And there are so many Christians who have become confused about it. Let me start with what Scripture has to answer that question first, and then we'll look at a few other things. Did God really say that he created the world? Well, we start in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 21, God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed from after their kind and every winged bird after its kind, and God said it was good. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Three times created, that's significant in one verse. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. So in Genesis, that's all we read, right, about creation. Well, Psalms 146, verse 67. He is the maker. He is the creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Isaiah chapter 40. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their hosts by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Isaiah 45, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create a waste place, not a ball of goo, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. Hebrews 11 continues that by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God. Romans chapter 1, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Colossians 1.16, which we just read a while ago, For by Him all things were created, 
both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through Him and for Him. And then you go all the way to the end, Revelation chapter 4. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. If we jump back to Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Genesis to Revelation God is very clear, I created. Is there any question? Should there be any question? If we believe that God is almighty, the beginning and the end, how is it that many believers in this almighty God are so quick to jump ship and not believe what God has made abundantly clear? But rather, they'd rather believe a theory that began and continues to be propagated by people who do not even believe in God or totally reject God. Why are people, why are even many Christians so quick to assume that the fallible, finite, present-day, man-conjugated interpretation of science supersedes, surpasses, displaces, and takes the place of the word of an omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent, all-knowing, everywhere-present, and all-powerful uh, all God. Paul tells us in Romans 1, verse 25, it's because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. When it comes to creation versus evolution, an article from Answers in Genesis gives a very good description of what is really at issue here. And I quote, says, creation versus evolution is not a battle of science versus the Bible or science versus faith. It's a battle between two starting points, God's word and man's word. Which starting point you choose will determine how you interpret the evidence. Henry Morris, one of the founders of the Institute for Creation Research, says this, and I quote, The Bible does provide a perfectly sound basis for understanding physical processes. It serves well as a textbook on science within which we can satisfactorily explain all the data of science and history. The issue is not between science and the scripture. The issue is whether a man wants to submit to the word of God or does not. And it boils down to Romans 1, which we read a moment ago, which defines man in these terms. They exchange the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave, gave them over to a depraved mind. So with that said, I think we need to take a look at a few things that may begin to open our minds to why we can depend on God's Word. I don't know if you've caught it, but over the past five years that I've been here, I have been trying to emphasize that God's word is truth 
upon which we can stand, the rock upon which we stand, and as a song says, all other grounds are sinking sand. Now, there are some myths out there that I think we need to address uh, concerning the creation and evolution debate. We need to answer it. Myth number one, creationists don't really believe in science. But we just believe in creation for no other reason than just the Bible says so. Well, I do believe that the Bible is God's Word, and it is absolutely true, and I have to believe what God's Word said. It is not true that that's the only reason that people believe in creation. We strongly believe in uh, science. After all, God created everything, and that includes science. Unfortunately, many who have bought into the lie that science has proved evolution... The truth is, it doesn't. I mean, you go to the museum and it doesn't even talk about theory, the word theory anymore. Creation scientists and evolutionary scientists are both looking at the very same evidence, but are merely drawing different conclusions about what that evidence means. Myth number two, creationists are trying to turn the book of Genesis into a science book. Well, that's not true either. No one claims that Genesis is supposed to be a science book as such. What we do claim, however, is that the actual scientific evidence supports the creation account in Genesis rather than Darwinian evolution. Myth number three, all the real scientists believe in evolution. And any who believe in creation just aren't real scientists. Well, that's not true either. Now, it's true. Most of the world's scientific community believes in evolution. I'll give them that. And so the creation-believing scientists are a minority, but they are, in fact, real scientists. There are literally tens of thousands of scientists who reject evolution, and they've got, guess what, the very same PhDs, thousands of scientists who reject, excuse me, uh, from the same colleges and universities in all of the major sciences like paleontology, physics, chemistry, geology, micromolecular biology, and genetics, and zoology, and astronomy, and astrophysics. It's just that these scientists are mostly censored by the media and by the textbooks and by the peer-reviewed scientific journals that are out there, which are controlled by the evolutionists, and those evolutionists rarely allow the rejectors of evolution to publish in their journals. So why are they so strongly concerned, so strongly censored? The truth is that the reason evolutionists fight so hard to keep creationists from being heard, I believe, is because they know or surmise that if or when people hear the other side of the evidence, they'll realize that God is real and the Bible is true, that the earth isn't billions of years old, as someone said, and Darwinian evolution won't have a monkey's leg to stand on. Read that somewhere. You see, if they were to admit that the theory of evolution doesn't work, they would have to admit that God created it. And that, for them, is simply 
unacceptable. As one evolutionary scientist said in a science newsletter, and I quote, I reject the idea of a transcendent God, so what other option do I have? That's why I believe in it. That's why he believes in evolution. He cannot accept God. If you take God out of the picture, if you take God out of the equation, you have to come up with some other reasoning, some other theory. So if evolution is false, then how come most scientists believe it? Well, the truth is most evolutionary scientists from kindergarten all the way up through college and university and into their careers have mostly been told one side of the story. I mean, how many of you in your school days were ever taught by a creation scientist the other, uh, the other part about creation? You need to realize that evolutionists have spent their entire schooling in careers only hearing one side. It's like going into a courtroom and you've got a jury and you've got a judge and you've got the prosecutor but you don't have a defense attorney. And just the prosecutor is giving all the facts, the jury is going to hear only those facts, and obviously, he's guilty. That's all they know. However, there have been literally thousands of scientists who have taken the time to research the rest of the evidence against evolution, and they have, by the thousands, switched to accept biblical creation over Darwinian evolution. How many of you heard about them? You don't. That's a few. Okay, a few hands. Most of the time you don't hear about them because now they too have been censored. Now, there's so much evidence. Last week, it, this was overwhelming to me. There is so much evidence on there. I was trying to figure out how, how do I squeeze this down into a morning message? I, I could have probably spent another... Doesn't matter. But there's so much evidence out there coming from evolutionary journals themselves that disproves or throws into question evolutionary theory and assumptions that I can't begin to cover everything this morning. If you have questions, I can direct you to some excellent resources that will point you in the right direction. For a Christian, for a Christian to believe in evolution there are at least two huge biblical truths that they have to put aside. Number one, God said he created it. The second truth is since evolution requires millions of years of decay and death, a believer would have to set aside the fall of man when Adam and Eve sinned. And the result of that fall was death and decay. Death was not a part of creation when Adam and Eve were created. Death, decay came when they sinned. Folks, the, those two truths alone nullify the, the whole theory of evolution. But let's put those aside temporarily because we, we can't keep them aside. And let's look at a few other things. Now, as I go through, I hope your eyes aren't going to glaze, because there's a bunch of science stuff that I'm going to be sharing. I've been trying to make it interesting and trying to point, uh, bring out the particulars that, are, are, that, that will help us here. 
Let's talk about carbon dating. You've all heard of carbon dating. Um, it's been used to figure out the age of things back in history. How does radioactive carbon form, carbon-14? A radioactive, uh, a radiocarbon forms continually today in the Earth's upper atmosphere. And as far as we know, it's been forming in the Earth's upper atmosphere from the very beginning. Radiocarbon, and I'm quoting, okay, this is not coming from me, I'm quoting the radiocarbon atoms combine with oxygen atoms in the atmosphere to form carbon dioxide. And that circulates into the biosphere. And radiocarbon is, is thus incorporated into plants by photosynthesis and into animals that eat the plants. Continued photosynthesis and feeding replaces the uh, carbon-14 atoms lost from the plants and animals by decaying cells. We are always losing dead cells. And so there is some carbon uh, that, that is uh, being lost there, but we gain more. So when a plant or animal actually dies, there is no replenishing going on because they're no longer eating, they're no longer taking in. There's no replenishing of the carbon-14, so they just begin to lose the carbon. Carbon dating is based on how much carbon-14 is left in the bones when they are discovered. Eventually, all carbon-14 will disappear if there is enough time. Evolutionists have calculated that would take about 55,000 years. Now, the inconvenient truth that they do their best at hiding, but it is in their scientific journals, if you look for it, is that every fossil and dinosaur bone they have found still have measurable carbon-14 in them. What does that mean? That means that those dinosaurs, rather than being 66 to 250 million years old, were only, according to their calculations, 55,000 years old. Just that fact alone blows their whole theory out of the water. But it gets worse. They're basing their calculation, now don't, again, don't, don't allow your, your mind to glaze here. Uh, they're basing their calculations on assumptions. Remember, they weren't there when the world was created, right? God is still asking that same question of them that he put to Job. Where, who, who, is it, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Here's their fact and their assumption for their calculation of carbon-14. Fact. We know that there is a magnetic field around the earth through which the radiocarbon atoms have to make their way to join with the oxygen and make carbon, uh, carbon dioxide. The assumption is that the magnetic field around the earth is the same strength eons ago as it is today. But now they're finding that there, are probably, there were probably stronger magnetic, uh, a stronger magnetic field in the past than there is now. And the evidence for the Earth having that uh, progressively stronger magnetic field going back in the past is based on reliable historical measurements and fossil magnetism, you can look that up too, trapped in ancient pottery. So they can figure out somehow 
how strong the magnetism in the past was. Why is that important? Because the magnetic field partly shields the Earth from the influx of those cosmic rays, which change nitrogen atoms into radioactive carbon-14 atoms. So a stronger magnetic field in the past would have reduced the influx or the flow of those cosmic rays. This, in turn, would have reduced the amount of radiocarbon produced in the atmosphere, carbon-14. And if this were the case, the biosphere in the past would have had a lower carbon-14 concentrate than it does today. Everybody still awake? Okay, hang in there. The best estimates indicate that the Earth's magnetic field was twice as strong only 1,400 years ago, and possibly four times as strong 2,800 years ago. Again, no one was there to actually measure, but this is what they, they are finding in, in, their, in their studies. And if this is true, the Earth's magnetic field would have been even stronger at the time of the flood. And the carbon-14 levels in the biosphere would have been significantly smaller, less carbon-14 than now. So, okay, here's where we need to wake up again. So, what does that mean for the dating of dinosaurs with measurable carbon-14? What they are presently dating some of those bones at, at 55,000 years, with this new information, they should be dating those bones at between five and 6,000 years. Isn't that interesting? That's when the Bible says God created the earth. Boy, that's an inconvenient truth, isn't it? Now, with that in mind, how does that fit with the geological discoveries? I mean, we've got all those different layers, right? The various layers of rock and what seems to have been found in them. Let's talk about the geologic column for a minute. Evolutionists, uh, evolutionists claim there were hundreds of millions of years of slow accumulation of sediment on top of each other. It's a little bit small, but uh, hang, hang in there with me. Therefore, the various fossils of history in the various life forms in the process of evolution would be buried in the different le levels of history in the ge uh, geologic strata. Creation scientists and Christian PhD geologists will say, however, no, that's not how those layers formed. Those layers were formed fairly rapidly over the course of several months during and after Noah's flood, where you had different rushing floodwaters moving in one direction versus another with the springs of the deep bursting forth from, from underneath. And as the waters are coming off the different continents, they're, they're dragging huge amounts of sediment from one area and creating big layers of deposits in another. And then you have other sediments from other floodwaters from other areas of the earth coming from different directions, dragging different sediment and layering those on top of the first layers. And that happens back and forth with the ebbing and flowing of the waters, and in particular, as the water begins to recede, you've got all the, the flowing going on underneath and all the sediment moving around. And over the course of several months, you have all these different layers all on top of each other, and they're compressed with the extreme pressure of water. They harden into rock, making all those layers in a relatively short time. So is that true? 
Is that what actually happened over the course of several months during the flood about 4,500 years ago? Or does it represent really the surface of the earth that developed over the past 500 million years? So let's look at the fossils. How many of you are science majors? Okay, good for you. I wasn't. <laughs> I'm looking this up. Okay, fossil. There are three main categories. Okay, three main eras they have divided history into. The Cenozoic era, the Mesozoic era, the Paleozoic era. And you'll see the names right down the middle of that column. Cenozoic era is the upper third, the last 66 million years of layering, and you find all the modern animals, apparently, and you won't find fossils of dinosaurs from other lower eras or stratas. Then there's a Mesozoic era. There's a middle grouping of layers, supposedly, when the dinosaurs lived 66 million years to 252 million years ago, where you find all the dinosaur fossils but you never find those fossils in the lower area or the upper Cenozoic era, uh, era uh, rock layers. Paleozoic era, below that, is 252 million to 541 million years ago. Reptiles, amphibians, invertebrates, this, they say, is where you find virtually all of the fossils. The reptiles, amphibians, and fish, and you don't find those fossils in the upper two layers. Now, Remember, the Cenozoic era on top only has fossils of modern era, theoretically no dinosaurs. That's what they tell us on paper. That's what they tell us in school books. But what they don't want you to know is that not, is that's not actually what's found in the ground. The modern animals that they talk about that are supposedly only found in the Cenozoic strata those fossils have been found in all the layers of the strata, up and down. Dinosaurs, the same thing. They have been found in rocks considered Cenozoic and Paleozoic. Right now, there have been people who have found dinosaur bones sitting up on top of the ground. Listen, this, and this was published in the New York Post, August 26, 2022. Is 2022. That's a mistake. I re-looked at it. I said, 2022? I re-looked it up this morning. It's 2022. This discovery is actually in 2017. Bones of a sauropod dinosaur found in Portugal. They say from 160 to 100 million years old. Well, where do the 66 million years of layering on top of that go to? if that's the case. This has happened all over the place, and the evolutionists have a real problem with some of the discoveries and just, and just end up calling the fossils, well, they're out-of-place fossils. You see, they're not supposed to be there. For example, the newspaper Pravda reported in February 5, 1984, in Uzbekistan, there were 86 consecutive hoof prints of modern horses found in rocks dating back to the time of the dinosaurs. The problem? Horses weren't supposed to have evolved at that point. Science News, July 8, 1989, Volume 136, page 21, reports, quote, hoof prints of a different animal alongside of thousands of dinosaur footprints in Virginia. 
Again, that's not supposed to be because hoofed animals weren't supposed to have evolved yet. Edward Nolan remarks on fossils from the Ashley phosphate beds reported in the Proceedings of the, Academic, um, the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia. It's paper number 1,876, pages 80 to 81, if you're interested. Quote, dinosaur, whale, elephant, horse, and other fossils, plus crude hunting tools found in phosphate beds in South Carolina. Altogether. These are supposedly from eras that are hundreds of millions of years apart from each other. They also claim that the petrified forest in Arizona is supposed to be about 200 million years old. But they found in the petrified trees fossilized nests of bees and cocoons of wasps. This was reported in the U.S. Geological Survey in May 27, 1995, and in Discovery Magazine, Discover Magazine in February Issue 1998, page 76. The problem is that the bees and the flowering plants that bees require don't evolve until 100 million years later than that. So how can this be? Folks, this is not widely published because it doesn't fit the narrative. Then there's something called the Cambrian Explosion. Cambrian explosion, a term uh, that the evolutionists use. Everybody seems to be using it because it's a phenomenon that seems to have taken place. You'll see the Cambrian strata at the very bottom of the blue Paleozoic area, um, the, the strata that's, that's there. Listen to a definition from Berkeley University, the Cambridge explosion. From about, from about 570 to 530 million years ago, an evolutionary burst of life forms occurred, often referred to as the Cambrian explosion. This marks an important point in the history of life on Earth, as most of the major lineages of animals got their starts during the Cambrian period and have been evolving ever since. If we wound the clock back a little more than a half a billion years to the Cambrian, we could find that life then was very, was different from life today. All life was aquatic, most life was relatively small, many animals had unusual body layouts. They're talking about worms and clams and snails and trilobites and jellyfish and things of that sort. Now, here's what's interesting. Before the Cambridge, Cambrian level, before this burst of life forms that they talk about, before the Cambrian explosion of life, what kind of fossils do we find? Nothing. There are no fossils. There are no ancestors to the snail. No evolutionary ancestors found. Nor to the worm, to the trilobite, to the clam, to the jellyfish. What did the snail come from? What did the clam come from? What did some of these other creatures come from? All they found are some single-celled bacteria called uh, prokaryote. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly or not. Now listen, if you believe in Bible creation, this actually makes sense. 
that you've had this huge explosion, I'm talking about the Cambridge explosion, that you've had this huge explosion of sudden fossilized creatures in the bottom layer because if there was a worldwide flood about 4,500 years ago, that means that the overwhelming majority of things that would have been fossilized would be things that were already at the bottom of the ocean. And during the flood, if you have masses of layers of mineral-rich mud being dumped on top of the creatures, that's the perfect condition for fossilization. I could go into a whole explanation on the fact that fossilization can only take a couple weeks if the conditions are correct. They found bowler hats. They found a lot of other articles that are fossilized uh, even today. But it's a perfect condition for that, with all the immense pressure of the ocean at the same time. And if you ask any atheist paleontologist about it, they'll admit that 95% of all fossils found in the world are these marine organisms. You know what else is interesting? The invertebrate fossils are found all over the mountaintops, all over the world as well. And that would only be possible if there was a worldwide flood. Look again at the Cambridge era strata. There's nothing below it. So how do you go from rock to a snail, clam, or a jellyfish if you believe in the long evolutionary process? Geologists actually note that the oldest fossils in the world sit on a thousand feet of rock containing no fossils at all. When Charles Darwin published The Origins of Species in 1859, he considered the Cambrian explosion, they were talking about that back then, he considered the Cambridge explosion one of the most significant challenges to his entire evolutionary theory. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because in his view, species arise from other species in small steps over long periods of time, and that all came from a single ancestor. Folks, the evidence for evolution is not there. The fossil record looks exactly like it should look if biblical creation is true. And there was a worldwide flood about 4,500 years ago. We could go into the mathematical impossibility for Darwinian evolution. They've come up with this amazing calculations, and I'm not going to get into all of the details, but it's all there, using the laws of mathematics and the laws of probability to show that it is statistically impossible that Darwinian evolution could have developed. For example, they take the simplest protein molecule. I don't want to insult your intelligence, but I had to look it up uh, because science wasn't my thing. But proteins are large, complex, complex molecules that play a lot of different critical roles in in the body. They do most of the work in cells and are required for the structure, the function, and the regulation of the body's tissues and organs. Now, proteins are made up of hundreds or thousands even of smaller units called amino acids, which are attached to one another in long chains linked in a very specific order. They have to be in a specific order. They have to be in that specific order to produce the simplest protein molecule. And of course, they had to evolve into that very specific order. So what are the odds mathematically that the simplest protein molecule could even form? So to do this, 
One had to figure out what are the mathematical odds today of, say, 400 linked amino acids linking themselves in just the right proper sequential order. And he said, it's like taking a, a deck of cards, a stack of 400 cards, numbered 1 to 400, and figuring how many times you'd have to shuffle those cards until they all, during one of the shuffles, landed in sequential order 1 to 400. To make it easier in the calculations, they used an easier number of 100. 100 cards, 100 amino acids in sequential order. How many different combinations could there be before they landed in sequential order? With just 100 cards, it would take 10 to the 158 times of shuffles. That's one with 158 zeros behind it. Folks, there are not that many. Can you bring up the next slide there? There you go. That's the that's number on top there. There are not as that many atoms in the entire Milky Way, much less than... I don't know how they've done it, but they say in the planet Earth, there are 13 to the 49th power number of atoms. In the whole Earth, that's that lower number. Yeah, but if the universe is 13.8 billion years old, then maybe over billions of years of time that, that a proper sequence of amino acids through chemical reaction on planet Earth in what did I say? primordial goo, could maybe just form and link in the right proper sequence. We're supposed to believe that primordial goo produced amino acids in a chemical reaction over 4 billion years. They say 4 billion. Folks, over even 30 billion years would not be enough time for the simplest protein molecule to form on its own. Do you know how many seconds there are in 30 billion years? 10 to the 18th power. That oh, sounds like a small number. 10 to the 18th power. That means the number of combination changes required per second is 10 to the 40th power. In other words, it, it, it would take us, a, if you took a deck of 100 cards and shuffled that, them, one with 140 zeros after it, number of times per second, every second nonstop for 30 billion years, then the laws of probability to say, ah, I'll stumble upon those 100 cards in the right order. And that's only with a deck of cards of 100. Amino acids, the protein molecule has either four, from 400 to thousands of linked amino acids in a specific sequence that has to be matched. You see how impossible that even is mathematically. Ever thought about the reproductive process? How in the world did that happen, evolutionary-wise? We've only been talking about one molecule here. How, how do two living microscopic entities evolve separately on this uh, whole planet of goo that are going to be compatible with each other, both having to start evolving about the same time, coming to reproductive viability at the same time, and microscopically finding each other on this whole planet 
being the same yet different male and female. Talk about faith. I would have to exercise so much more faith to believe that all of this evolved from nothing than to believe that my God said, let there be, and there was. Listen, this is amazing. A 2018 DNA study by top evolutionary uh, geneticists by the names of Dr. Mark Stackle and Dr. David Thaler was published in a peer-reviewed scientific journal called Human Evolution. This study shows that all humans and all animals emerged on Earth somehow at the same time. And mitochondrial DNA research apparently shows that all humans go back to one person just about 6,000 years ago. Phys.org, Phys for Physics. Apparently that's the respected science research and evolution science news organization. They reported May 28, 2018, this headline, Sweeping Gene Survey Reveals New Facets of Evolution. They then reported, and I quote, it is textbook biology that species will become more genetically diverse over time. In other words, species that evolved over 60 million years would be far more genetically diverse than humans evolving over in the, only in the past 450,000 years. But, this article goes on to say, is that true? The answer is no. And it was... Dr. Steckel, that, that is saying this. He's the lead author of this study, published in the Journal of Human Evolution, as phys.org is quoting. For the planet's 7.6 billion people, 500 million house sparrows, or 100,000 sandpipers, genetic diversity is about the same. Evolutionary geneticist David Thaler said, phys.org quotes, this conclusion is very surprising, and I fought against it as hard as I could. Didn't want to believe the evidence. You know what else they found? All humans descended from two people at some time in the past. As a UK Daily Mail reported, November 24th, 2018, this headline, All humans are descended from just two people, scientists claim. They go on to say, quote, scientists who headed the study concluded that 90% of all animal species alive today come from parents that all began giving birth at roughly the same time, throwing into doubt the patterns of human evolution. This is in their journals. This is not creation science saying this. This is what evolutionary scientists themselves are saying and discovering making them doubt their whole theory and a, a supposition because that's what they are. They are theories and suppositions. Here's another quote from the same article in Human Evolution as reported by phys.com. Quote, How does one explain the fact that 90% of animal life, genetically speaking, is roughly the same age? Was there some catastrophic event 200,000 years ago that nearly wiped the slate clean? In analyzing DNA barcodes across 100,000 species, almost all animals emerged at the same time as humans. Their assessment is close. 
There was a catastrophic event that took place. It just didn't happen 200,000 years ago. It happened 4,500 years ago, time of Noah's flood. And the bottom line is that it's not a matter of who has the better, who has the most facts on their side. We need to understand that there are no such things as brute facts. All facts are interpreted when you're looking back into history. The foundation of our interpretation comes from what we believe in our heart. Do we have a biblical worldview or do we have God, with God's word as truth or do we have a secular worldview where man decides the truth? When you look at science, with a biblical worldview, you're going to find over and over and over again, and we saw a, a, a number of situations like that over our summer series, that the Bible is confirmed by real science. One more question. You know why they can't find transitional species? Because there aren't any. And there won't be any. Why am I so convinced of this? Because God tells me in Genesis 1.17, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. Genesis 1, verse 21, God created the creatures of the sea and every living thing with, with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1, 24, and God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, which includes apes, my friends, each according to its kind. And it was good. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us now make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, not in the image of any other animal. And male and female, he created them. Did God really say he created the world? Yeah, he did. Scripture and science are actually clear. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Our God, folks, is an amazing God. Father, this morning, we praise you because you are an amazing God. We thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that you would allow us to interpret everything, not just science, but everything in this world through the clarity of your scripture. You say that this is your word. Your word does not change. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And your word is truth. If that's our starting point, everything else can be explained through it. It can be interpreted through it. And Father, I pray that you would make us stronger in standing on your word as, as the rock which is true. In Jesus' name, amen.